0: God has been at work, and it works spectacularly, but now He's forcing you to look at the future. He's not so much concerned where you have been, but He's calling you to be a people whose dreams are greater than their memories. He is shaping and fashioning you, and calling you to move forward to be the people of God He intends us to be. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, as many of you are aware, we are beginning a new series of sermon studies in the New Testament book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn to the New Testament letters, and we're turning to Philippians chapter 1, and you'll find it on page 1825 of the church Bible, page 1835, Philippians chapter 1, and we're reading verses 1 to 11. This morning we are also beginning for the first time to roll out for you our new vision plan, which you heard so much about a moment or two ago, and we'll try and blend those major themes uh, into our study of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. and praise of God. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Now, this morning, when the Apostle Paul is writing Philippians, he is encouraging the folks at Philippi to reminisce. And reminiscing is always fun to think where I was, where did I live, who were my friends where, oh yes, I remember this and that. And he is encouraging them to reminisce a little about the relationship with the apostle. He had established a church in Philippi ten years earlier in the year A.D. 50. It's now AD 60. He's writing to them. They've kept contact off and on over the past 10 years. And if you're looking for a little more background to the Church of Philippi, I'm not going into all today. There's just too much. We'll touch on it in subsequent Sundays. But if you have five minutes this afternoon... When you get home, find yourself a comfortable chair, a cup of coffee, and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is one of the most explosive passages in the entire book of Acts. The apostle Paul, for the first time, arrives in Europe, and he goes to the town of Philippi along with Thessalonica and Berea, and the gospel through his preaching and his teaching begins to impact lives in a spectacular fashion. Not only did it impact lives, that it was so radical, so utterly transformational, that some of the people in the city became very concerned about what he was teaching. The Apostle Paul was subsequently arrested, put in prison, he was beaten, and it really is a spectacular passage. But nonetheless, God was at work in the midst of it all. And over the last 10 years, his love and affection and admiration for the folks at Philippi has grown and grown and grown. Philippi, as most of you will know, if you can imagine your map of Europe, if you can visualize, let me think if I'm doing it backwards, you have Italy coming down this way with Sicily at the bottom, over on the other side. uh, You go north and west and you come to Philippi, Athens, down here southern greece up and around and you'll come to thessalonica Thessalonica, berea and philippi philippi was a major town it had a major trade route running uh through it as you look at the map it would be this way if you go further to the west of course you're going to come to the the end of Europe, the beginning of Asia, Uh, Constantinople as it used to be, Istanbul now of course, uh, is right there. So that gives you a sense of the region. Philippi was named after Alexander the Great's father, who was Philip, and so it was named after Philip II. Mark Antony, if you remember, your Julius Caesar had a huge battle uh, just outside Philippi, which he subsequently won, and the entire region was made into a Roman colony. And the benefits of living in a Roman colony back in the year AD 60 when Paul is writing was that Latin language was used across the region for official business. Roman law controlled administration and taxes, Roman trade paid a huge part in import-export. Many of the city officials had the same titles as in Rome, and life by and large in a Roman colony reflected life at the heart of the empire. So that gives you a little of the history and background to both the church at Philippi and also uh, the city itself. Now a little about the epistle before we go any further. There are two or three major themes that come out of Philippians that we will be touching on in subsequent Sundays. But one of the overarching themes is this, that when the Apostle Paul is writing to the folks at Philippi, he writes in warm, encouraging tones. There's not a sharp rebuke throughout this entire epistles. If you think of Galatians where the Apostle Paul is writing in strong language, Philippians is the opposite. He's warm and engaging encouraging. He's seeking to enable and equip the folks at Philippi to live out their faith day by day. And it has a wonderful pastoral tone about all four chapters. It really is an extraordinary uh, book. Now, as we begin... We begin at chapter uh, 1 verse 3. Notice how he begins. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And if you work day by day with text if you are a lawyer an english literature teacher if you are a student and you spend your days studying texts and books you will notice immediately what i'm about to tell you that the apostle paul clearly had ancestors, a heritage, and a background here in the southern United States, and it's crystal clear from the text. Now, some of you, of course, are shaking your head and scratching your head and saying, Richard, what on earth are you thinking this morning? Well, look at the evidence of the text. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray, and this is y'all. Okay, you've got it. It's right there. This is Paul saying, y'all. And it's not just y'all. It's all y'all. It's the plural. (laughs) He is saying, I am praying for every one of you. It's almost as if those great atoms of love and care and encouragement are being wrapped around the folks at Philippi. And can you imagine what it would be like that morning to turn up to church on a Sunday morning? One of the elders stands at the front and says, you'll never believe what I'm about to tell you. Only this last week, we received a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he unrolls a scroll and begins to read. And the first thing he says is this, when I'm thinking of you, I think of you with joy, and I am praying for you think of you with joy. His memories are fond and real, and it's almost as he is writing. He can't get the the ink on the paper quick enough to be able to write and tell them. The high regard he holds them in, and his love and affection for them is crystal clear. He'd fond memories of them. And having said that, he goes on, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And so that major theme of thanksgiving and joy begins the letter. And please understand this, that Paul is modeling for us what it means to be life-affirming and life-giving in his daily living Now, let me say that again. I don't want you to miss it this morning. Paul is modeling for the church at Philippi what it means to be life-affirming and life-giving in his writing, and he wants them to hear his heart. Now, let me pause with that for a second, because I don't want to move on without applying what is a principal lesson in this epistle, and it's principal for this reason— and over these next eight or ten weeks, as we go further and further and further into the letter to the church of Philippi, I will be asking again and again, how do we take these principles, live them out in our lives, and apply them to today? And here's my first challenge for you this morning. As Paul is life-giving, life-affirming, encouraging, sharing his heart with the folks at Philippi, Let me ask you to do this this week. In fact, let me make it more difficult. Let me challenge you to try this before Wednesday of this week. If I give you till next Sunday, you'll rush next Saturday and do it. So let me back up a little and say, by Wednesday, this is what I'm needing you to do. I wonder if someone has been in your mind over the last eight, ten days, three weeks, you haven't seen them around for a while. Maybe someone in your Sunday school group or someone in a small Bible study group. You're thinking, they'll be back after the summer, and you just haven't seen them. I've come to mind several times. The challenge is this. Send them a note this week. Could you text them? Sure. Send them an email? Sure. But if you take the time to write to three, four sentences. You've been on my mind. I've prayed for you. I'm missing you. Hope you're doing well. Can you imagine the impact that would have on someone when you are reaching out to them, encouraging them, life-affirming, life-giving? Or it may be someone in your street you haven't seen around quite as much. Maybe someone in your office, maybe someone who used to be a good friend, and you don't quite have the relationship you once had, and it's kind of drifted. It's just the busyness of life. What would it be like this week to receive a note from someone who says, do you know, earlier this year when you were going through this, or I remember when you were struggling with that, and I was so impressed with how you handled it. I really admired you in the midst of that. And I just wanted you to know I was thinking of you this morning and wanted to drop you a note. That's what it means to enable and encourage others in their faith. Simple five-minute exercise makes a world of a difference, and as you do it, you get a sense of what's happening right here. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I pray for you. That's what's going on here. And here's the amazing thing. This is one of four epistles called the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, four letters. The Apostle Paul is in prison. And you can search this letter from beginning to end. He's not sitting back licking his wounds. He's not saying, woe is me, what on earth is going on? Life is overwhelming. It's bad. And sometimes we are there, and that's a tough place to be. But Paul Absolutely refuses to allow the circumstances he is facing to dominate his thinking and his life. He absolutely refuses. And he writes with deep joy and lasting affection. What an encouragement that is. Paul's about to go on trial for his faith. He may be sentenced to death. Ultimately, he was. But here, He's focused on the folks at Philippi. Talk about relational connectedness. Isn't that incredible intergenerational engagement? It's all happening right here for the apostle. And as typical of of the apostle, just when you think he said everything he can say in a particular verse, he takes you deeper again. You're going to see that pattern repeat itself. It's typical of the Pauline epistles, and you see it again as he takes us from verses 3 and 4 and 5 to verse 6. And I need you to get verse 6. If you have a Bible and Philippians 1 verse 6 isn't underlined, let me encourage you not just to put a quick pen mark, but to take your time. Uh, I'm a little OCD about this sort of thing, and I use a rule, and I underline particular verses, and I make sure it doesn't bleed through to the page before, but underline Philippians 1.6. It is probably Mm -hmm. the most memorized verse in this entire epistle. Christians for thousands of years have, certainly the last 2,000 years, have been memorizing this verse, and it begins, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on till its completion and in the day of Christ. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And notice what he's saying. He's saying this, that our confidence to grow in our faith. Our confidence in going to the next level in our relationship with Christ doesn't depend on us. It's not about if we are good. It's not about if only we work harder. It's not about if only we sacrifice more. It's not about if we are more focused. In fact, it's the opposite. The Apostle Paul is saying this, my confidence doesn't lie in my own ability as a leader. It doesn't lie in his calling as an apostle. It doesn't lie on leadership principles. What he is saying is this, I have confidence in him. In him who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. His confidence is not in himself, it's in God. And how often on a Sunday morning have we looked at what is one of the cardinal principles of biblical faith, that we are Christian people today, not because of something we have done, but because of what He has done, and He takes the initiative being confident of this, that he who began, he takes the initiative. He who began a good work, he reaches down, he touches our hearts with the gospel, he draws us to himself, and he brings us to that point of speaking to the heart and soul and mind, and transforms us with the gospel. And then he gives a new heart and a new soul, and he begins and initiates a work that will come to perfect completion. That's the gospel. And he holds our hand and will not let us go. Never abandon us. Never walk away from us. He has us. Do you remember Jesus talking in similar terms in John's gospel? He says, my father has you in the palm of his hand, and no man can take you out. No man. You're there. You belong to him. In fact, the scriptures tell us this, that before the very foundation of the world, He set his love and affection upon you and engineered and orchestrated your life as he drew you to himself. That's at the very center of what it means to have a biblical faith. Paul's confidence is not in himself, but in God. Then notice what else he says. He goes deeper again. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then notice how he finishes verse 9. What does he say? Having nourished and nurtured in the folks who are reading this epistle, he is telling them they are securing Christ and being part of that body of believers. They are securing Him eternally. They have a secure Christian home. And then he goes further again, and notice, please, the specificity. And this is my prayer not this, folks, please hear this. This isn't a casual prayer in the morning as he's getting ready and washing his face and his hands and getting dressed. Father, remember, please, the folks at Philippi, bless and encourage them. Be with the children and the teens. It's much greater. It is much deeper. There are eternal depths here. Notice what he says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And you almost wish he would put in an amen right there at the end. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Once again, that theme of relational connectedness. Paul is saying, I want to see it lived out in your life. I want to know you're sending those little notes. I want to know you're reaching out to others. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more, because he who has loved you has you. And take that overwhelming sense of joy and grace and wonder and love each other. That's what he's saying. But please also notice this. He's not writing about empty optimism or emotion. He goes deeper again. My prayer is that you will, that your love may abound and more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What does he mean? Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. In fact, let me give you two illustrations. I remember many years ago now being in a seminary class, and whenever our professors would begin a class, and it may have been Old Testament survey, it may be the New Testament epistles, it could have been ecclesiastical history, systematic theology, it didn't really matter, the professor conducting the class would come in and say, good morning, uh, please turn to page such and such, and then once we'd looked up the textbook and were ready to take notes, he would say, let us pray. And we would pray together. But the strange thing was this. We prayed in class, but when it came to end-of-year exams, we didn't pray at the beginning of the exams, only in class, which was a bit of an anticlimax because the moment I needed prayer the most was not the class, but the exam. And when one of the students said, Professor, why do we pray in class but not in exam? Without missing a beat, the professor said, No external help is necessary in an academic exam at the end of the year. And he was right. He was right. Because when we pray, we are looking for external help. We are saying, Father, you know us better than anyone else. Help us, enable us, equip us, be with us. That's what's going on in this prayer. That your love may abound more and more in what? In insight and knowledge, so you are able to discern what is best. It is one thing to look back and be grateful and thankful for the blessings and faithfulness of God in the past. And we should and we ought to. And then we build on it. Because we know we cannot live back there. We know that it's impossible to move forward while looking to the past. And that is what Paul is saying to the church of Philippi. For the last 10 years, God has been at work, and it works spectacularly. But now he's forcing you to look at the future. He's not so much concerned where you have been, but he's calling you to be a people whose dreams are greater than their memories. He is shaping and fashioning you and calling you to move forward to be the people of God He intends us to be. And that's why Paul is saying, I am praying for you. That's why today as we move forward deeper and deeper into this epistle, as we get further and further into our strategic vision for the next phase of life and ministry, what can we say without fear of contradiction? We can say this, I have confidence in this That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen? Amen. That's what's going on. He's giving us a passion and a desire to be the people he's called us to be. He is cultivating within us a longing desire and an appetite for him and all he has in store for us. That's the God we worship. That's the God we're excited about today, as much as we were 168 years ago. In fact, some of our older saints at the 830 service on the way out said, Richard, I have been here for more than half of those 168 years. And they had, they had. There's a man who was 96 last week. There was a lady two in front of him who's 94, baptized and raised here. And God has been faithful all those years. And so this morning as we wrap everything up, I can't help but wonder, 25 years, if you will look back in this fall season of 2016 with great fondness and deep affection and say it was then He began a new work in me when I was refreshed and renewed and encouraged and equipped and I strengthened by Him. And in 25 years, I'm going to ask you if that was the case. It may not be Greenville, South Carolina. It may be somewhere else, but I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for your faithfulness towards us down through the decades. Thank you for your call upon our life during these years. As today we move into a new phase of life and ministry, we commit it to you and ask that you would lead and guide and direct in the future as you have in the past. Continue to hold us in the palm of your hand Enable us, please, to hear again that you will walk with us into that future and that we will continue to be your people, faithfully serving you, a people whose dreams are greater than our memories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Press by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.